0: Industrial light and magic, LucasArts, Skywalker Sound, LucasFilm Animation. This is Looking at LucasFilm with Jim Hill and Dan Z. Welcome to Looking at LucasFilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and the rest of the team at LucasFilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and Dan Z, my co-host on this show, and I are recording this on the evening of Wednesday, June 26, 2019. How are we doing, Dan? What's going on there tonight?
1: Oh, things are good. It's finally, I guess, finally getting warmer here in central Illinois. I've enjoyed this sort of mild summer we've had so far, but things are great. I've uh, been having a lot of fun with my lightsaber from Savvy's Workshop, which I'm sure we'll talk about later in the show. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay okay well
1: <laughs> i'm sure people are picturing me standing in my driveway swinging around not exactly that more about taking it apart and putting it back together again and learning a few things
0: the big deal with the Savvy's workshop the hand-built uh lightsabers are of course the kyber crystals that power them and i don't know if you, you've heard about what's been going on at star wars galaxy's edge but they are out of kyber crystals i'm i heard that earlier and i I was stunned, and I, besides being surprised, I thought,
1: "Oh no, I should have bought them when I was there." Mm-hmm.
0: Well, the interesting thing is, you can still get them now, but the only way you can get them is you have to buy a holocron. Is is that what that's called? Yes, or? that
1: is. You are correct. Okay. Jedi or Sith holocron.
0: But that's the thing. It's like, can I get a kyber crystal? No. But if you buy a holocron, you can get a kyber crystal.
1: And they're fifty bucks. Those holocrons,
0: by the way. Yes. So not a surprise that you know that's still available. Not, was it twelve dollars or fourteen dollars for the carpet? Twelve, pistol, I forget. Anyway, and now. I just
1: heard today that there are four different cuts of each color. Oh, I know that's oh, not fair. <laughs> it's uh, cool, but right. that, that's too hard to track down for me. But I'm happy if someone wants to send them to me. I'm happy to uh, display them oh, well, in my, there you in my go. studio
0: and. Put a little plaque with their names on it. That's the workaround. Okay. The news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of Jim Hill Media. For worry-free travel every time, book your trip online at storybookdestinations.com. Well, anyway, folks, to get started here, there's a line out of Episode 5, Empire Strikes Back, that, that came mind early today as i was putting together the show notes for tonight dan it's when master yoda is in his teeny tiny house on the planet of, of dagobah and he's complaining to obi-wan's force ghost about luke about all his life he he looked away to the future the horizon never his mind on where he was and what he was doing that's right there we go and so my apologies to master yoda this is certainly a good thing to live in the present but there is so much going on right now with lucasfilm that, that forces us to look to the future for starters uh, did you see mark hamill last week was doing a lot of press out ahead of Child's play he's the gentleman this time around who's voicing chucky in that movie yeah that's right they pretty creepy okay. um uh, <laughs> but of course if you got mark hamill on the red carpet you're gonna ask star wars related questions and the interesting thing is they're, a reporter from the Associated Press asked him about Episode Nine, Rise of Skywalker, and and if he'd be appearing in it, and Mark confirmed that. He said, yeah, the a peculiar aspect of the Star Wars mythology is if, if you're a Jedi, you get to come back, make a curtain call as a Force ghost. But the gentleman from the Associated Press sort of followed up and said, so is this going to be the very last time you're going to play Luke Skywalker? And again, Mark... It was straightforward you know it said i sure hope so i had closure in in the last jedi and
1: which is really nice to hear actually because sometimes depending on who is writing the article or how they want to put a spin on it make a clickbait they'll make it they'll paint it into such a way that he's not happy with the last jedi but i mean he's saying he had closure on it and can you believe mm-hmm. people ask questions like this when I mean, you've been doing this a lot longer than i have but do they really think that Mark is going to say, well, yes, we're actually going to do episode 10? I mean, thats he's not going to say that.
0: <laughs> well, you know, if we go back f- five or six years, when George was getting ready to sell Lucasfilm to Disney and reached out to Carrie and, and Harrison and Mark and sort of clued them in that... You know, I'm thinking of doing another set of these, <laughs> can, and would you be available? I'm thinking Mark thought it up until that phone call or, or that visit that the door was closed. Right. In this world, I don't know if you can actually ever say the door is closed. No.
1: I would be at peace with it being done after this one, though, as far as the story. I agree. Because I think that there needs to be a beginning, middle, and an end. I think, think that's important. I agree.
0: But at the same time, if somebody comes back with a decent story or a good, strong reason why, say, a Force Ghost version of Luke might come back, who knows? You know, could pull on the rope yet again. An interesting thing that supposedly one of the reasons that Hamill agreed to come back and do the Force Ghost thing was that the script for Rise of Skywalker was so strong. In fact, uh, Carry Russell, who evidently is playing a brand new character in episode nine they describe her as the masked scoundrel zori bliss or at least that's that's how she was described in that that amazing vanity fair article a month or so back right she was talking about how when they were trying to get her on board for the film they gave her a copy of the script to read and she was talking about when she first read the script that jj wrote i cried i mean you know, who knows if it'll turn out to, to be as good as the script and it'll remain true to what J.J. originally wrote, but it was strong enough that she immediately signed on. I guess based on the other bit of news this week, The Rise of Skywalker must have turned out fairly well. Did you see that news about uh, Kathleen Kennedy promoting Michelle Rajwan? I believe that's how you pronounce her name. She was the co-producer of The Force Awakens, and now she's the producer of, of Rise of Skywalker.
1: Yeah, tied into I assume it's all going to be tied into Disney Plus, basically.
0: Not because this doesn't count um, films, right? It's so funny if you talk to the people at uh, Marvel Studios if you talk to people at Lucasfilm, their take on Disney Plus is that it's as big a deal as getting a theatrical release for your film. So Kathleen announced that Michelle is now going to be the new senior vice president in charge of live-action development and production at Lucasfilm. And that means she's in charge of all of the theatrical releases going forward, as well as, as you mentioned, Dan, the Disney Plus stuff. In a weird sort of way, I kind of feel sorry for One right now because, I mean, the next six months are brutal. Gotta finish the edit and the mixing of the rise of skywalker which i, I just found out this week supposedly 2000 separate effect shots in this film it's it's raising the bar in a ridiculous level plus you've got the mandalorian which evidently they will actually renew a show before it goes on the air they'll they'll announce that you know there's a season 2 coming of a show that hasn't even aired yet, but that that's because it's tested so well and it's it's done been so strong and I just in the past week to ten days, you know, I heard that they sort of reached to the out to the writing room with the Mandalorian and said, Hey, we really like what we've seen and we want to talk about season two. Very encouraging. Yeah, I, I think that's great news. But yeah, this is a lot of stuff for just one person to work on. Other question, uh, did you see the, the news coming out of Japan about how the Rise of Skywalker has a different name over there? It's Dawn of Skywalker?
1: I saw that. I, I, I mean, the literary educator in me certainly was intrigued by that as well. I actually got wind of that through our Coffee with be Twitter account because Lisa Dillard runs our social media, and she posts the news stories on there uh, on mm-hmm. our Twitter feed. So I saw it there, and then I thought, well, I wonder if this means something different. But really, dawn is just essentially as the sun starts to rise, and Skywalker, it's called the Rise of Skywalker. So really, it's fairly similar, but I can certainly see um, the literary elements of it.
0: Okay, just wanted to run that by my favorite English teacher.
1: (laughs) It's an eyebrow raiser for sure. But you know me, I try to deal with what is, not what might be. It helps me manage my expectations.
0: That's an excellent way to approach it. Now, speaking of stuff that that obviously showed up on your Twitter feed this week, what did you make of what just happened in regard to the tickets to the Star Wars celebration in Anaheim in, in 2020? And before we get started here, Dan, I just want to kind of put this out there. Two years ago the tickets for the last Star Wars celebration, uh, which you went to, Dan, the one that was held in Chicago back in April of this year, Mm -hmm. those tickets went on sale on June 5th, 2018. By June 6th, the next day, 90% of the five-day tickets to this event had been sold, and by the 7th, another day later, that block had been completely sold out. So we contrast this with what just happened earlier this week. So... Tickets to the Star Wars convention, it's going to be held at the Anaheim Conventions that are in August of next year, uh, went on sale June 21st at 12 noon East Coast time, 9 a.m. Pacific time. At this time around, within hours, both four-day tickets and the VIP-level Jedi Master Pack- Package were completely sold out. And by 4 o'clock East Coast time, 1 o'clock Pacific time, all of the passes for Saturday, August twenty ninth, were gone as well. And what was different this time around? I was
1: stunned. I really was mm-hmm. stunned by it because when that was going on, that wasn't even on my radar. I mean, I posted it and I knew that the tickets were up. And I usually, you know, we usually get a press pass or something like that. So usually mm-hmm. we're uh, we're very fortunate to be taken care of in that aspect. So, I, mm-hmm. but normally I would still buy four day or five day tickets anyway for me and my crew uh, that helped Mm -hmm. me with coffee with Kenobi but I didn't do that and I just thought I'll just do it tomorrow or I'll do it later today and then my friend texts me and he says they're already sold out in what was it 20-30 minutes the four day passes were already gone I couldn't believe it and then I said well maybe you should just get a couple of the individual one day passes and then the Saturday one was sold out and then the Friday one I believe is sold out now too and of course they're a little more expensive that way I guess one of the reasons I think this is happening, I think Galaxy's Edge is a big part of it because there's so much mm-hmm. goodwill about it. We're starting, we're getting to that point where we're going to start being excited about the rise of Skywalker. Celebration mm-hmm. Chicago was such a wonderful success. People are just hungry for their Star Wars right now. I mean, I'm I've always known that 2019 was going to be the year of Star Wars, and I think this is just sort of a a reminder. Now, the Anaheim Convention Center is much smaller than McCormick Place in Chicago so I think that's probably part of it as well and I also wonder if they're limiting the amount of tickets so that there will be more room for people to get around you think what do you think
0: Southern California you have WonderCon you have San Diego Comic-Con and every other year you have the D23 Expo you have a community that's primed for these events so and especially I think you're right you know coming off of 2019 and between Galaxy's Edge and Rise of Skywalker, Mandalorian and the like, I think there was a lot of gas in the tank, a lot of excitement. But even so, to see all of those passes go that quickly, that's got to make the folks at Lucasfilm happy. You have that event sell out in four hours, and yet the last three weeks or so, you and I have been hearing some very interesting stories coming out of disneyland park in regard to galaxy's edge that's right
1: real quickly by the way i I was gonna i meant to tell you this i'll just tell you on the air because i think it's more fun that way but Mm. i ran into a listener of ours in my hometown about two weeks ago his name is chip joyce he i was Mm. working at the movie theater and i was wearing a galaxy's edge t-shirt which is why i'm bringing this up now and he said oh Mm. have you been there i went there for a cast preview and i said yeah i loved it and then he heard my voice and he made the mm-hmm. connection that I was the co-host on looking at Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. And he said he's been listening to us since the beginning, so I want to give Chip Joyce a shout-out and thank you for listening to our show.
0: Oh, how oh, nice. Okay. But he had gotten to a cast member preview? Yeah, he got in there or... before I did, and he said he loved it. Wow. Yeah. That is the mantra. When people get in, they, they love what they see. But the three weeks after the media event, the press preview, what with... People having to make advance reservations and Disney really pushing hard on putting that mantra out there to the effect of, you know, that you need a reservation to get into the park. They actually had some issues with far lower attendance than they had anticipated. In fact, I think Len was telling me about how folks who had reservations to go into galaxy's edge you actually get contacted by disney and we're like hey i notice you're only bringing one friend with you and how would you feel about bringing two friends three friends four friends so we had this artificially low attendance during the three-week reservation period for uh, galaxy's edge in Anaheim. and it's like okay on the 24th we throw it open to the general public and this is when the deluge happens this is when you know the wall of humanity and that turned out not to be the case either, that they've actually, I mean, don't get me wrong, I guess they've got a an app-based reservation system in place. But the crowds have been very, very manageable. In fact, there's been a lot of, uh, kind of great feedback from people who've actually gone to the park over the course of this week and have talked about we walked right in and the cast members couldn't have handled the crowds better. I guess what's kind of interesting is the whole smugglers run thing yeah that early in the day i mean everybody walks into the land right now and just goes straight there that when they're not grabbing reservations for ogas or uh savvy's workshop
1: do you have to get reservations for that it's on the app or if you see a, a booth with a cast member but do you actually have to have a theme park ticket it's not like you can do it in your hotel room at five o'clock in the morning right
0: well, no. In fact, that's what's kind of interesting about the app is you can't do it from home. And I'm not sure if you can do it from your hotel room on a Disney resort property. My understanding is it's a proximity thing that you actually have to be inside the park mm. before they'll, they'll register that.
1: That makes sense. That's more fair.
0: Yeah. But at the same time, I guess on opening day, Ogas initially went clean for its reservations for the day. And I want to say... 22 minutes and Savvy's went clean in 22 minutes. But the interesting thing is that then over the day, because people would change their minds, there'd be openings in the schedule. So uh, there was actually a lot more flex to it than people had initially anticipated.
1: This really is a, an example of how excellently they are are managing and in, in making this happen. It's, I think this is a, at least from my mind, I'd be interested to see what Len thinks. It seems like a uh, an organizational marvel, and the fact that they're able to create this buzz, but also make it manageable and impossible for you to experience it. I think I think that's great.
0: When you talk with Disneyland, you know the folks actually work at the resort. They're having conversations now with Phil Holmes' team. Uh, Phil Holmes is the gentleman who's the vice president in charge of Disney's Hollywood Studios, and of course, their version of Star Wars: Galaxy's Edge opens on August 29th. And the belief is you only get the one chance to get that first impression. And it's like, oh, we blew it with the whole reservation system. We blew it with the whole, you can't get in without a reservation. We've created a false narrative that they're probably gonna spend the summer undoing. They're gonna need people to go home and evangelize and say, hey, I walked right in or when I showed up early, because there's still sort of this mindset of, oh, that's Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and it's ridiculously crowded, and there are long lines. And it's like, no, no, that's not what's going on here. Well, that kind of brings me to my next uh, topic. I, and now, I, I don't know if you listened to the show that, that Len and I did, uh, The Disney Dish with Carly Wisely. I did. On this particular show, Carly was driving the bus. Carly had been there for the media preview. And she gave us wonderful intel on uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. She's been back into this land, I think, more than anybody on the planet. Who's not named Trowbridge. Well, yeah. All right. Maybe <laughs> Scott has an hour or two on her. Because she's gotten so much uh, time inside the land and seen it at you know uh, various different crowd levels and operationally. And Carly, I, I want to say it was her Instagram feed rather than her Twitter that she put this up, but she had this this wonderful insight into what could be a real issue going forward for Galaxy's Edge, and she kind of zeroed in on the fact that, remember, they were talking initially about what was gonna make this particular 14-acre land different than any other land in a Disney theme park. That was the concept that your reputation would follow you as you you went through the land, right? Bob Chapek actually, at the D twenty three Expo back in two thousand and seventeen, who floated this idea. You're on uh, the Money Falcon. You're on Smuggler's Run, and maybe you you bang up the the Money Falcon, or maybe you have to jettison your cargo and as you came off the ride the idea was that you'd go back into the land and you'd go to oga's canteen and it's like oh and the bartender go you're the guy who had the jettison your cargo hondo's looking for you which sounded like an amazing element an amazing idea the problem with that is you actually have to have a way to carry your reputation with you which in orlando is easy enough because of magic band technology I've been trying to get confirmation of this, but supposedly as you are entering the cockpit of the one New Falcon, the last thing the cast member does before stepping out of the space is they're supposed to note who's in what position by clicking on the magic bands, and then your reputation of what you did on the ride carries with you. For the average family, because of the expense of traveling to Orlando, Maybe it's not a once in a lifetime thing, but it's a once if you're lucky, say once every three years, or once every five years, or even once every ten years. So uh, the folks in Orlando who have the Magic Band technology, who can have the reputation, follow them around. They're not going to have the chance to get a multiple flights on a smuggler's run. Right. Not a, at least not initially. Not initially. Whereas now, if we we switch to the West Coast. Disneyland Park supposedly has a million annual pass holders. In fact, that's one of the reasons that they didn't do annual pass holder previews, whereas for Walt Disney World, they've already announced that for certain tiers of uh, annual pass holders, they will be previews of Galaxy's Edge out ahead of the media event in August. In Anaheim, because you have these folks who will go to Disneyland every week, Sometimes multiple times a week. There are going to be people who actually figure out the absolutely best way to fly the Millennium Falcon. They're the, they're the ones who are going to get the amazing mission that you know where they succeed at all levels. And they will eventually become an ace pilot. But there's no way to record that. Or at least not now. When you were there, Dan, did you get to use the inland app that would allow you to sort of scan... What was in crates and uh, no, decode bench. science. Yeah, yeah, I did, I
1: did. It was it was amazing. It was a lot of fun. I, it wasn't even buggy, which I thought was impressive. Because
0: I know Seth Kaburski, who got into Galaxy's Edge multiple times, because there's supposedly ways that if you run errands or you you do missions with the land, you can. I guess it's the equivalent of making bank that you have funds you can spend within the land. Or you're supposed to be able to.
1: Yeah, that's right. You get credits, or what, I think they call it credits, yeah.
0: So you have to assume if they can do that. I wonder if there's a way for the reputation to then transfer to your your phone. And every time you return to land, that it would recognize you. Well,
1: when I was there, in the back of my mind, I, I thought a couple of times, okay, how are they going to keep track? How are they going to know that mm. I crashed the Falcon or that I had a nice landing? And, and the only thing that I really noticed is when I was done... And, the, and I wrote, mm-hmm. I wrote it four times. When I would leave the cockpit and walk down the hallway, the cast members would say, boy, you did a great job, or something like, boy, Hano's going to have to do a lot of work to fix all the damage you did. And the hallways would smoke, <laughs> and it would flash, and you'd hear certain damaging things. But That was really the extent of it. And I thought, well, how will someone in Ogas have any clue what I did on the Falcon 20 minutes ago or mm-hmm. two hours ago? But, and, I, and all I could think of was, well, Magic Band is what they'll do in Florida, but I do not know what they were going to do here. And, you know, there's no guarantee that someone's going to use the app that devoutly that's just going to be in there to ride some rides.
0: Yeah, that's true. Unless
1: there's a way that they do it, you know, like you're talking about in Florida, maybe it'll be a thing where you can you have the option of do you want this recorded or not. So maybe there might be someone who is worried that they won't do as well the first time or two, and so maybe they won't record that one. I don't know. I I mean, I would do it no matter what, because, you know, there's nothing like failing to figure out how to get better, as we learned in The Last Jedi.
0: This is true. This is true. And this is a work in progress. Until we get Rise of the Resistance up and running on both coasts, that there won't be balance to the Star Wars land. Again, I guess I should break a little news here on the show. Got a call tonight from Alice's mom, Michelle Valladolid, who had just been in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, the Anaheim version today, and was thrilled that she finally got face-to-face with Kylo Ren there, but ran into an Imagineer friend while she was in the park, and they got chatting about Phase 2, and this Imagineer clued Michelle into the fact that the sit-down restaurant has actually just been signed off on. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, so the concept art that we we all saw out there for the the sit-down eatery, it looks like they've decided they're going to fast-track it. So in Disney terms, what does fast-track mean? How quickly will this restaurant open?
1: Is is that going to be their answer to another cantina sort of a thing, or is that going to be something else?
0: The idea is this would be the sit-down eatery, and I think the hope is that by creating this, this would, in fact, take some of the heat off of Oga's and thereby make it that much easier to get into. But then, of course, now, in fact, it's, it's kind of ironic, Len, when I were just recorded a Disney dish about this, but Epcot's about to open that uh, oh, space-themed space restaurant. Theme restaurant. Yeah. yeah, but the fear is that the space restaurant at Epcot is basically going to be Be Our Guest 2. That new Fantasyland restaurant open. They thought people would come in, and because they're in the Magic Kingdom, they do like they did in every restaurant. You know, they, within 70 minutes, they would have, you know, gotten their food, eaten, and left. Because, of course, there's a, a huge theme park outside that you want to go to. And what the difference was that this is the first restaurant in the Magic Kingdom where you could order alcohol and had all the, you know, three separate rooms full of amazing decorations. And people actually lingered 15 to 20 minutes longer than usual. And that actually blew their reservation system out. Which remember at Walt Disney World, people are booking restaurant reservations six months out. And they had to redo all of those reservations because of the fact that people were lingering as long as they were. And in fact, that's really kind of the fear with the space restaurant, that because of the amazing view out of that 240 foot long video screen, that wraps around the room, supposedly has you 220 miles up over the, you know, the surface of Earth, that people are going to loiter over dinner. And it's just sort of like, how do you turn those tables? And so I guess that's the interesting thing about the Star Wars sit-down restaurant is that how do you turn the tables? Are you going to do, uh, is it going to be a dinner show kind of a situation where you turn the entire restaurant? Or how are you going to get people to, to leave a, a Star Wars environment?
1: Jar Jar's hoop to do Musical Review.
0: Then the question will be, how do you get him in? <laughs> All right. Uh, th- th- thanks uh, again to Carly for putting these thoughts out there. And again, a, a very, very interesting insights into how Star Wars Galaxy's Edge uh, operates and you know, the challenges Disney faces going forward. And speaking of going forward, when Dan and I get back from this commercial break, we're going to talk about how... Tika Watiti's latest project for Disney and 21st Century Fox uh, actually has some ties to George Lucas. We were talking about the future of Star Wars on the first half of today's show. Wanted to remind all of you to circle November 5th on your calendars that's the day that dark horse books will be sending star wars rebels the art of the animated series out onto store shelves i got lucky enough to see some of the stuff that be featured in this 216 page hardcover dan oh it's a gorgeous book i can't wait to see this yeah i love star wars resistance which by the way has been picked up for a second season and is supposed to get underway again this fall But Star Wars Rebels has has a real, uh, I have a soft place in my heart for that, largely because the look of the TV show came from all of that great early, early concept art that Ralph McQuarrie did for the very first Star Wars movie. And I just love the fact that they carried that forward into the show, and it gave it such a different look from, say, Clone Wars. Was there an aspect of the McQuarrie stuff that you particularly liked, Dan? Or? Well, I, I
1: mean, there's, and it's all over. It's so nuanced. I mean, the look of Zeborilio's mm-hmm. is inspired by the original design for what Chewbacca was going to look like. Mm-hmm. Chopper, and the way that those mm-hmm. little wrench hands come out, is based on an original thing that McQuarrie did of R two D two. I mean, there's, there's so much that. Was put into this show that was inspired by Ralph, and you know Doug Chang has talked about that too, and how that affected Galaxy's Edge. Now uh, this this is going to be great. It's going to be like having a Star Wars Rebels museum, and to me, be I mean I I ranked Star Wars Rebels as a series just below the theatrical films. I love that series, so this is going to be a must-have.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. But again, folks, that's coming in November, and. Speaking of early, early Star Wars, I, I have to admit, Dan, I was kind of amused early this week when I saw that Disney and 21st Century Fox had approached Taika Waititi, the director of Thor Ragnarok, not to mention the talent behind uh, FX What We Do in the Shadows TV show, which is actually based on Taika's uh, 2014 mockumentary, the modern day vampires living in New Zealand. No, and, I've, I've, no I, oh, have, I haven't even heard about it. It sounds cool, though. Oh, it, it is so ridiculously funny and sweet which is not something i think people expect from a a story built around vampires but they're very they're very anal retentive vampires they're very fussy and the tv show has them relocating or, or, or a different set of vampires relocating to staten island in america and dealing with modern day life and taika has been asked to try and crack Flash Gordon, which Disney and Fox are hoping to turn into an animated film that they can then turn into a franchise that this mega entertainment corporation... God, Flash Gordon Land? Oh, I don't even want to think about it, Dan.
1: (laughs) As long as Queen does the soundtrack, I'm good with it.
0: Yes, there was the film in December of 1980, and let's be honest here, when Star Wars came out in the summer of 1977... By fall of that same year, Universal had acquired the film rights to Flash Gordon. They spent millions, whereas if you jump back to 1935, the Alex Raymond comic strip, the the newspaper comic strip that Flash Gordon was based on, they got the rights back in in 1935 to make a a movie serial based on this for just $10,000. The first Flash Gordon serial came out in 1936, 13 chapters, was so popular, Universal made two sequel serials, uh, 1938's Flash Gordon's Trip to Mars, and then 1940's Flash Gordon Conquers the Universe. But the, the interesting thing is, of course, is the 40s give way to the 50s, and we see the rise of television, and Universal, for one reason or another, let its film rights lapse. And... The film rights of Flash Gordon went back to King Feature Syndicate. So now we have young George Lucas sitting at home watching on television the universal serials uh, for Flash Gordon, and he loves them. You know, now jump ahead to 1971, Dan, and George has finished working on THX 1138. He's written the script for Radio Land Murders, which we talked about in our last show, and He's looking ahead to what he could do next. And he and Francis Ford Coppola uh, in May of 1971 have made a trip to New York City. And George has a free afternoon, so he decides to swing by King Features and talk with them about whether or not the film rights to Flash Gordon are available. Then it turns out that, yes, the King Features guys would love to talk with him about uh, a movie. But they have a very specific plan in their mind. George is trying to sell them the idea of, like, all right, what if we take the Flash Gordon movie serials? But what we do is we take those effect scenes—the ones where you can see the, the, you know, the spaceship with the sparklers stuck, you know, <laughs> in the exhaust pipe, and the very obvious wires that are flying it through the air—and. What if we do, instead, we do effects that are on the same level, same level of quality, if not better, than 2001 A Space Odyssey? This intrigues the, the folks at King Features, but they don't want some young kid from Southern California directing this thing. What they want is Federico Fellini, the, the gentleman who directed Eight and a Half, Known mostly for his Italian art films, right? Crazier still, a King's feature is only willing to talk about selling the film rights to Flash Gordon's if they get eighty percent of the gross of the feature film that gets made. Given the ridiculous terms that King's Features has put on the table here, George says thank you and goes back to his hotel room, where you know he meets with Francis. And Francis, looking back, this recalled that George was incredibly depressed What he got back from his King features, meeting with King Features. And since they wouldn't agree to sell him the film rights to Flash Gordon, Coppola remembers Lucas saying, well, I guess I'll just have to invent my own space heroes. We kind of know how that panned out. Thank goodness that meeting didn't go the way he wanted. So again, we jump ahead to Summer of 77. New Hope is a huge hit. So here's a Universal, you know, immediately pivots and you know renegotiated with King Features to get the film rights and I, I understand again it was millions to get these rights back as sort of a instead of Federico F- uh, Fellini directing sort of the compromise was that Dino De Laurentis would produce the film so much of this was aping what happened with with Star Wars I mean for example you know Star Wars what was it shot at Pinewood was that correct uh, yeah yeah they turned around and grabbed 12 sound stages uh, at Shepperton. The other thing that I just find fascinating is that when it came down to the casting, they almost cast Disney legend Kurt Russell, who was in the running for Han Solo. George kept talking about how he would bring trios of actors together and, and see how they worked. And I want to say, wasn't it Russell and Christopher Walken?
1: Uh, I don't know if they were actually a pair. Christopher Walken was was in there. Uh, Christopher, I thought Christopher Walken read for Han Solo too. Maybe I'm wrong. I know Cindy Williams, of course, read for Leia.
0: Well, anyway, they came within inches of evidently casting Kurt as Flash, but they opted instead for Sam Jones and movie comes out December of 1980. Terrible film. As you mentioned, the one thing that, that really has survived the score by Queen, it's been kind of interesting to watch the second life of Flash Gordon, this the Samuel Jones version, thanks to Seth MacFarlane's Ted, which was also made by Universal. But that film actually features a, the Ted characters, a very big fan of the Flash Gordon movie. So
1: Okay, I haven't seen that movie since it was in theaters. I just have a lot of fun memories of it because everyone was trying to fill up the Star Wars hole in their hearts when there wasn't a new Star Wars movie. And by the way, it now that I think about it, it was Elstree. Studios where they filmed the original Star Wars. There we go. Because that, there there I've been to
0: Pinewood. Really? It's a gigantic place. Yeah, it's very cool. Oh, very cool. In a weird sort of way, I guess we're lucky. We are, yes. But at the same time, given Taika's very, very unique sense of humor and his storytelling style, I'm genuinely interested to see what this guy could do with Flash Gordon. Oh,
1: it'll be fun. He's got a little bit of stuff going on for the for the mandalorian too as we know so he this is a is busy true. person he's really hitting all the right sci-fi and fantasy notes for sure between these and then thor yeah this this is good news i think it'll be fun and what what if that meeting did go well and george didn't make flash gordon what would the name of our podcast be i'm not sure gaga about gordon Nah, that's <laughs> flapping you know, about flash. i've always been yeah.
0: Yeah, fascinated by those stories about the early, early, early cuts of Star Wars where they, they didn't have certain effects, pieces of effect footage done, so they cut in shots from World War II films. That's right. and Maybe there's some flash there in, in the pile. There's uh, a
1: documentary when the original trilogy came out on DVD called Empire of Dreams, which is a three-hour documentary, and it hmm. goes over and shows a lot of that footage that you're talking about with the World War II stuff. Really? Oh yeah, it's it's a fantastic documentary. It's it's probably mm. one of the right, premier uh, video versions of the history of creating this franchise. I highly recommend people look. I think it's on YouTube for free too.
0: Okay, I will have to chase that down. Well, speaking of very very busy guys, you are a very very busy guy uh, these days. In fact, comics with Kenobi is is this a new thing or comics with Kenobi? No, it's been out for a couple of years. We have a network.
1: A Coffee with Kenobi. Mm-hmm. We have comics with Kenobi, hosted by Matt Moore and Jeff McGee. Lattes mm-hmm. with Leia, uh, with Dr. Andrea Letta-Mendy and Amy Radcliffe. Resistance mm-hmm. reactions with Aaron Harrison, Dave Motters, and then Legends Library with Randy Therio. So yeah, we've got we've got a busy network. But I, of course, to Coffee with Kenobi, the weekly Star Wars podcast. We also have a a Patreon page with an exclusive show you can listen to called Cwk Pour Over, where myself. Corey Club and Tom Gross just basically take our, our own look, our own slant on popular culture. We, of course, we talk about Star Wars, do a lot of coffee with Kenobi behind the scenes stuff. And by the way, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Zer, M R Z E H R, and my writing on stars.com Star and IGN.
0: I feel positively lazy when you, you talk. I mean, all I've got I've got the Disney podcast I do with Lynn, I've got the Universal Joint, which I do with Dustin Fuse, and of course, fine-tuning with Drew Taylor, who, by the way, has his own wonderful uh, Mission Impossible-based podcast, Light the Fuse. We have the Marvel Us Disney podcast with Aaron Adams. And we have the uh, brand-new show, I Want That, with Michelle Valladolid. In fact, that's why I was talking with her earlier today, was that she was back in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge trying to prep our big Star Wars Galaxy's Edge merch show, which... I should only be 15 or 16 hours long folks just i'm looking forward to that sleeping bag and a pillow you're gonna need it you you by the
1: way are like the least laziest person i've ever met in my life you i, I can honestly say from being on in on the inside jim works so hard on every podcast he puts so much uh, blood sweat and tears into them so we we are better for it for your hard work Well,
0: we need to get you a hobby, Dan. Okay, speaking of podcasts, if you really like what Dan and I do here, it would be incredibly helpful. If you head over to iTunes and rate and recommend our shows, Uh, if you get over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool. But I do want to say, I forgot to mention, on our Coffee Mm -hmm. with Kenobi YouTube
1: channel, I've got four videos of me talking with some of the creatives who helped bring Galaxy's Edge to life. There's some really, really fun stuff there that I'd love for you to check out and subscribe
0: to the channel. No, this stuff's absolutely killer, folks. Please go and check that stuff out. And I guess that'll hold you over till Dan and I get together again and do a new Looking at Lucasfilm. So until then, folks, uh, thanks for listening, and Dan and I will be back soon. Thank you for listening to Looking at Lucasfilm with Jim Hill and Dan Z. One of many great podcasts on the Jim Hill Media Network.